Welcome to the World's a Maybar audiobook podcast. Previously on The New Aleph, Aramis and Paul had a difficult discussion during the third day of their walk to the narthex, and Aramis affirmed they needed Exile Aleph Vicky's help. And now, Chapter 18, Part 1 of The New Aleph. we gonna get through that? Jules was up ahead of the group, standing at the top of the forested hill they had been walking across for a while. Ever since the tracks had ended at the lichen-covered concrete foundation of a long-demolished train station, Paul saw the overgrown-to-the-point-of-nearly-vanishing trail open up in front of Jules to reveal a huge spread of short, dense green. The hedge maze the one Paul had emerged from over half a year ago. Within it was a clearing and the narthex door. Unfortunately, Paul had no answer for Jules' question, because he had only walked out. He didn't know how to get back in. The crowds coming up behind Jules mumbled worries as they gathered at the end of the trail. Paul looked back, searching for Aramis. He had told her already about this problem, but she'd said she had a couple ideas. She hadn't explained what they were. Don't worry about it. Vicky's forehead was covered in sweat, even though it was barely five degrees above freezing out here. She caught her breath and gestured at the maze. I have a map. Paul watched Vicky walk up and stand beside Jules. She knelt down to take off her right shoe. Aramis suddenly appeared, brushing past Paul's shoulder, then moving through the cloud to go kneel beside Vicky. The two of them talked a moment. Too quietly for Paul to hear. Paul pushed past a few people in the way and stood over them. He looked down at Vicky's foot. It had a tattoo full of little arrows clumped together in a grid, and next to that a swirl of lines compressed into a half-moon shape. Aramis looked up at Paul and gestured at the tattoo, smiling. This will be a lot easier than my way. Vicky watched while Aramis copied the sequence down on a piece of paper. What were you going to try? Aramis paused while copying. I was going to turn myself into water and move upstream. The maze is sunken into the river, so I just have to go under it. Then I'd walk back out the exit like Paul did and write down the turns I made. Paul turned to the maze. Would that have actually worked? Vicky nodded. Yes. You can't fly over it. The Taw foresaw that possibility. But there were no pravids when they built this, so yes, you can go under with the water. Paul folded his arms. Why are you copying off her foot now? Why didn't you just do it before we left the camp this morning? Aramis finished and stood up. Vicky chuckled as she put her shoe back on. Because the maze changes every two hours. On the even hour. It wasn't a cheap tattoo. Paul looked at his watch. It was 2.37. Oh... Jules said. Paul had forgotten he was standing there. Jules rubbed the back of his neck as he started walking down the hill to the river and the hedge maze. That means if you walked in and tried to figure it out on your own, you'd never be able to make it through or back out. Vicky dusted off her knees and the back of her pants as she stood up. That's the idea. Uh Uh-oh. What is it? 
Akahira walked over to look over Nason's shoulder at his Aleph key. They were lounging in a tiny library in Jin's house while Nason continued his endless re-educating of himself. Since Dan's wanted posters had gone up, Nason rarely left the giant flying boat house. Someone's gone into the maze. I had a little infrared tripwire thingy outside the maze because I wanted to keep track of how many people were coming and going out there. I don't know, mostly just curiosity, but this is weird. Weird how? Akihiro turned and looked out the window at Chrysoprase's downtown, where Soma Dan was supposed to be appearing soon. Weird enough to call off our surprise meeting with Aleph Dan later today? Nathan sighed. Well, just under an hour ago, it was only a little weird. Just an unexpected seven people going in. But that could just be an extra large early relief team for the guys that have guarding it. Maybe they're throwing a birthday party for one of them in there. I don't know. But just now, 84 people went into the maze. 84? That is weird. No kidding. I can promise you it wasn't me or Mr. Jin that told anyone where the narthex is. No. Nathan tapped his fingers against his leg rhythmically for a moment. I mean, they're not keeping the secret very well anymore. You up for going to check it out? Akihiro shrugged. Let's go. Hermes couldn't decide if she wanted to be relieved or depressed that she was about to part ways with Paul forever. They were almost through the maze, with just two more arrows from the tattoo to follow. Soon they'd walk out into the narthex and up to the door, and once in threshold, they'd all part ways. She couldn't decide how she wanted to feel. Right now, as she took the second-to-last turn, looking back as she did to see Vicky, Jules, Paul, Aubrey, Milton, and everyone else following behind, she felt sick. A lot of those behind her looked like they were also weak and sick. Probably since they'd all had to wade through the maze in ankle-deep ice-cold water. But that wasn't her reason. Paul had been her safe place. Even if being around him was constant pain... She never needed to explain herself or act differently or hide her true self from him. He was a mirror, letting her see herself clearly in how he knew her. Never uncomfortable with her awkwardness, understanding her humor, forgiving and allowing her anger. He wasn't perfect. He didn't even realize how she actually felt, but he was the best mirror she'd ever had. She approached the last turn, up ahead and to the right. Technically, Aramis could try and go with Paul to Prometheus. He'd suggested it multiple times, giving those doughy, sad eyes. It was like having a little brother that would get mopey when his big sister said she was too grown up to hang out with him anymore. Thinking about that made her angry, though. In those moments, she felt like she hated Paul. She definitely hated the name in those moments, and told him so in her prayers. Paul was just stupid and childish, but the name knew better. She grumbled and sped up her pace, her feet sloshing loudly through the icy gray water as she rounded the corner and stepped out into the half-moon clearing. For a split second, she was surprised by the huge relief carved into the rock wall that formed the flat edge of the clearing. 
The huge chained man wreathed in flames, being mutilated by a giant eagle. But she had no time to admire it or be awed by it, because right below the relief was a group of people standing around two lumps laying in the shallow water. They were yelling at each other, their voices carrying the emotion and intensity over the distance, but not any clarity of words. Aramis froze as the rest of her group exited the maze behind her and clustered up around her. The group below the relief then turned and stopped talking as they noticed them. Crap! Aramis turned around wide-eyed and yelled at her people. Back into the maze, now! They slowly pressed into each other as they moved back into the mouth of the labyrinth. Those behind the ones who had already got out complained and asked questions. Paul and Aubrey and Milton and Vicky and her young assistant did not back away. Aramis heard Paul say, Should we leave? Wait until they're gone? Aramis shook her head. That's not going to work. Vicky stepped up beside Aramis. They don't know how to open the door, otherwise they'd be in already. If they don't know that, how did they get through the maze? Aramis watched the group by the door argue and then point at her group. There were seven of them. She had 84, but all of them were running away from trouble, not anxious to get into it. The five standing behind her right now were the most capable at fighting. That actually left them outnumbered by one. And these guys had already killed two people and probably didn't want any witnesses. She didn't know how to get out of this without a fight, but hoped they could find a way. Of course, she was a water pravid surrounded by water, and it didn't look like their group had any water pravids. Someone from the group below the relief yelled out the first thing Aramis could understand. Who the hell are you? Oh shit, Vicky said, clenching a hand into a fist. That looks like an immortal. Which one? Aramis said, keeping her voice low, even though there was no way they could be heard. The guy who yelled at us? Vicky shook her head. No, one of the bodies. Then it clicked for Aramis. She saw the pale white skin of one of the bodies floating in the water, and the blue skin of the other. Probably a team of an immortal and a vassal pravid. If these guys had killed a team like that, surrounded by water, they were very strong. Aramis studied them as her heart pounded harder and harder. Two women and five men. Two of the men were huge and ash-skinned, probably stone pravids, and they both had element lock guns. That was a little unusual for a stone to use, but if they were well-trained, they wouldn't necessarily need to even aim to hit whatever they wanted. One had a large pistol, and the other had one of those huge double-barreled revolver long rifles. One of the other men, the one who had yelled out, was broad-shouldered and slender, but stood with a slightly hunched, hungry pose. He might either be a human or a wind. A couple of the others looked like they were fire pravies, but it was difficult for Aramis to tell orangish skin from regular skin. From this distance, she also couldn't tell if they had vassal tattoos or guns. She whispered over to Vicky. Are those two fires? I still have my curse, so I'm not sure. Vicky nodded, no judgment on her face. I asked you a question, yelled the slender, hungry-looking one. Aramis looked at Vicky, then Paul. Paul nodded and stepped forward. I am Aleph Paul Stevens. 
He said it confidently enough, but then he turned around and frowned at Aramis. I have no idea what to say. Just wait a second. But Vicky walked past him and out across the clearing, moving with intent, her soaked shoes splashing loudly in the awkward silence. She stopped halfway between Aramis's group and those beneath the relief. You didn't think you could just break into Threshold, did you? Who are you? The slender man asked Vicky. Leave, now, and I won't kill you. Leave without saying anything, and I'll try to convince Mr. Stevens to forget to report you to the sub-assembly. Vicky had a crooked grin on her face. The slender man did not smile back. He drew a knife from his belt. Aramis took a step forward. Vicky slowly turned around to look at her, then back at the group. They were all drawing weapons. One of the fire prey veeds drew an element lock pistol, but she and the others with guns did not raise them up yet. Aramis let her right hand go loose and forced her breathing to relax. She let her focus drift from her fingertips to the water below her, then along the water and toward the group. She didn't let her focus get too close, because then the Pravids might sense what she was doing, if they were well-trained enough. But she got just close enough to be able to tell that the stone Pravids were reaching out as well, just into the ground instead of into the water. She brought her focus back a little and let it linger in a line in front of Vicky. If she needed to, she'd lift up a wall of ice in front of her if the ones with the guns tried to shoot her. Laughing, the slender man took off at a blind sprint right toward Vicky. Aramis was about to clench her fist and called the water to rise up and freeze, but just before she did, Vicky yelled out, Don't, Aramis! Aramis stopped slightly surprised that Vicky could tell what she was doing. But then the Slender Man was only a few paces away and reared back his long, scythe-like blade, ready to bring down onto Vicky's head. Vicky shifted her weight in a way that seemed very slight, just a little lean back, then a little lean forward, but the movement ended with her thrusting her open palm outward toward the Slender Man. Something invisible, or too fast to see, shot out from her hand, pushing the water away in a splash of mist as it flew at the slender man. It hit him and pressed him backward with terrible speed. He slammed right into the stone relief, his body splattering like a raw egg, a splash of red across the stone feet of Prometheus. His friends looked at his remains, then at Vicky, who was smiling. She stood up straight and adjusted her jacket. One of the women stepped forward and pointed at Paul. Bullshit. If he was an Aleph, he'd call in better gammies than these ones they left here to guard your asses. Alephs never get their hands dirty. You're just offenders like us trying to get away from Aleph Dan. A smaller man Aramis hadn't noticed yet near the back of their group stepped forward. He wore light armor that had a dull glare to it. He spoke then, his voice clear without being an actual yell. You should all be thankful we killed these two before they could call for help. Otherwise, we'd probably all be dead right now. Leave now or you'll end up like them. Vicky folded her arms, glaring at the man before gesturing at the red stain on the relief. I killed him easily enough. Aramis's eyes darted to the Pravids carrying element lock pistols as they moved. They lifted up their weapons to aim at Vicky. The tendons in Aramis's hand tightened 
her fingers holding the same open pose but shaking slightly as she sent her focus down hard into the water and around the water in front of Vicky. Steam exploded out in front of Vicky from the shallow river. It spread rapidly and filled almost the whole half-moon clearing of the narthex. Aramis couldn't see it through the quickly expanding steam, but she could feel a crescent of water shooting up and freezing to block the gun blast sended to kill Vicky. The steam came partly from the rounds hitting the ice, but mostly from the water of the crescent shield, flash evaporating into steam, taking enough heat away from the center of the shield so that it could freeze solid. Aramis turned to Aubrey. Can you deal with bullets? Aubrey shook her head. Hell no. Takes decades to learn from schools I sure as hell can't afford. It won't be a problem. Aramis turned around. A calm voice had come from Vicky's assistant. He set his bag down and pulled out what looked like a metal cricket bat. Aramis stuffed her glasses into a pocket on her cargo pants and ran off to the left. I'll flank them from the right. Our left. She was quickly swallowed up in the enveloping steam. But hearing her feet splashing loudly in the knee-deep water, she threw off her jacket to reveal a wetsuit and then jumped forward into a lateral dive under the water. Forcing herself to relax as she glided above the grainy sand of the riverbed, she let her body transform. First things first, she let her eyes grow their second eyelids so that she could see clearly under the water. Next, her lungs. As in most situations where she figured she might have to fight, she'd come here today wearing one of her modified short-sleeve wetsuits with big holes cut out of the sides where the gill slats would form. She opened her mouth and concentrated on ignoring her instinct to not want to breathe in water so that she would do exactly that. She fell into a comfortable rhythm of gulping cold water and feeling it washing out warm from her sides. She let her arms turn fully into water at her sides, then reached out with the dexterity of hands and fingers into the water around her. She shoved the water back in a heavy, constant flow to push herself forward at incredible speed. It was exhilarating, with ripples above and sand below rushing past in a flash. Hey everybody, we're back, or I'm back, I guess. Sorry for the long break, but I let myself get way, way too busy, and I had to prioritize with ruthless abandon. But now Maybar is a priority again, so the show will go on. Thanks for sticking in there during the break. I'm going to try and get back to a steady schedule from here to the end. And I hope you all enjoyed the new Don't Panic radio show episode that I was on talking about the podcast. It was a lot of fun talking with those guys again. Remember, you can find it at don'tpanicradioshow.com or search for Don't Panic Radio Show wherever you get your podcasts. So anyway, let's get back to the long-awaited story. Aubrey and Milton had just run off into the center toward Vicky leaving Paul surrounded by endless white steam as the cloud finished filling the clearing. Paul, right? Paul turned to Vicky's secretary, who he could just barely make out through the white haze. He gestured with a cock of his head for Paul to follow him and he took off running. 
He went to the right, the opposite direction as Aramis had gone. Wait! Hall ran to keep up, but the kid was fast. You're the strong pseudo-stone guy. I mean, if I have to have some sort of label, yeah. My name is Brett. He picked up his pace, as if he somehow could see where he was going in the steam. Hall lengthened his stride, his lungs burning, and Brett lowered his voice as he caught up with him. I need your help killing these guys. Aramis skirted along the roots of the hedge until she could see the rock wall up ahead of her through the scattered grass. She turned more to the right and saw swirling mud where the feet of their enemies must be standing. She closed her mouth and let her gills push out the last of the water in them before having them form back into lungs. She did it quickly, which was very painful because her lungs would still have some water in them after it was done but she was focused and in a hurry and would worry about breathing later. She shot out of the water like a dolphin and her second eyelids peeled back, giving her a slightly blurry view of the two fire previds. Blurry mostly because she didn't have her glasses on. The steam had started to drift away from this area. Time slowed down as the group turned toward her, eyes wide as they watched this water demon breach out of the shallows. Suspended streams of water extended out of the sleeves of her wetsuit like huge octopus arms. Her short hair stuck up in every direction and her teeth clenched with lips peeled back. One of the fires holding an element lock pistol was halfway to aiming at her as Aramis swung an arm of water around, summoning up a huge wave. The ground around the wave went dry with so much water rushing into the wall of water she sent rushing at them. Aramis felt a surge of excitement at seeing them turn and try and run away from her wave, not having a chance. They were sent tumbling in the white water. Aramis landed and her arms turned back into flesh and she gasped for air, coughing and shaking. She smiled as she watched the two fire previds continue tumbling before they slammed hard into the rock wall of the relief. Her forehead furrowed up as she saw the element lock one of them had been carrying drifting away from him. With a yell, she lifted up a hand with tense, crooked fingers and a small strand of water grabbed onto the pistol and pushed it up into the air. That done, she fell to her hands and knees and started heaving and coughing and shaking, her hair drooping down over her face and touching the flowing water she knelt in. Paul heard gunshots, then a yell, then got close enough in the haze to catch the stone guy shoot again and Brett swing his metal bat to deflect the blast away. Several pellets buzzed right past Paul's ear, which he figured should have terrified him, but his heart was already racing so he didn't feel any different. Brett got close to the guy and sparred it out with him. Too close to shoot Brett, the stone was holding his gun's long double barrel with his hands and swinging it around like a club. Brett mostly just kept out of the way, sometimes deflecting a swing with his bat. He was clearly fast enough to block a gunshot, so holding this ogre off wasn't much of a challenge, but it was clear that his small light frame wouldn't fare well against a direct hit from the huge stone Cravey. 
Halt only watched for a moment, because out of the white haze a translucent figure emerged, its eyes and bare teeth almost glowing. Paul backed up, getting a hand up just before the thing threw a shadowy fist right into his chest. It was like being hit with a sledgehammer, something Paul was unusually familiar with. However, somehow his ribs didn't break or even feel bruised. It didn't even hurt very much, but Paul was knocked off his feet and fell backwards, splashing into the water. Riding himself, he saw two holes in the water approaching him, each one leg-shaped. He jumped for them, grabbing around the invisible legs. The owner of the legs cried out and cursed as he fell. Paul adjusted himself to try and punch where he thought the head would be, but then the invisible legs he was holding onto seemed to stop existing. Paul instinctively looked around, then felt stupid for trying to find something that was invisible, then looked around again anyway. He had at least seen the eyes and teeth before. The haze of the steam had diminished, less than half of it left. Brett and the stone with the gun were still fighting nearby him, and he could just barely see Aubrey and Milton sitting behind a rock that wasn't there before. He couldn't see Aramis anywhere. Off toward the wall, though, he could see a medium-built man taking off an armored jacket, revealing an upper body covered in spiraling tattoos. Paul considered going over and fighting him instead, but a pair of feet slammed down into Paul's shoulders from directly above and drove his face underwater and hard onto the sandy river floor. Crap, 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 crap. Aramis ran as fast as she could and ducked as a spinning blade of flame flew right over her head. Her hair felt like it was burning and the back of her neck stung as if she'd instantly got a terrible sunburn. She turned around and decided to just turn her whole body into water. The two fire pravies were standing by the relief and throwing random bits of fire at her indiscriminately. Not enough to drain their kesho very quickly but just enough to keep Aramis from being able to send another devastating attack at them, and enough to get her tired. Turning herself fully into water was always a bit unnerving. She had to wear the wetsuit under her clothes to keep them from soaking into her body, and somehow her eyes and lungs still worked. Running toward the two fires, she dodged to the side, almost tripping as a fireball shot right past her and close enough to make a bunch of her arm evaporate. But she was running in water, so that wasn't a problem. She could replace anything lost immediately. Unless her wetsuit melted or her pants or shoes burned off, she couldn't replenish those. A few more steps, another spinning scythe thrown at her. This one she jumped over her boots getting very, very hot, and then splashing back into the water and hissing as they cooled. They steamed a little each time they rose out of the water with each step. Just a few more steps to the closest one, a mean-looking woman. Aramis thrusted her hands upward, and a wave lifted up in front of her to head right into both fire pravids. Aramis charts forward even as the mean woman blasted the wave of water with a swelling torrent of fire, sending steam exploding everywhere. The male fire copied Aramis and turned all but his legs into fire, which burned off all of his clothing. He didn't have any fireproof clothing on underneath, apparently. 
She faked charging at the woman, then cut to the side and jumped and kicked the man square in the chest. Her boot caught on fire for a moment until she landed back into the water. He threw a fiery haymaker at her. Aramis put up her arm and let it take the full brunt of the hit. Her hand flashed into steam and Aramis closed her eyes, expecting it. She darted to the side in that brief second the guy swatted the steam away from his face. Then threw her other hand, clenched into a fist, cooled down into ice, right up under his ribs and up into his diaphragm. Aramis didn't understand how this all worked. But even though both of them had turned into their corresponding elements and weren't flesh and blood at the moment, because her punch was hard and fast, and more importantly, because he wasn't prepared for it, it worked very well. He coughed and doubled over and clenched his side and his body returned to normal. Aramis looked over her shoulder and saw the other fire just a couple steps behind her. Her arms turned into fiery blades and her eyes glowing. Aramis dropped her knees and relaxed her hands and reached out into the water all around her. She only had a few of these left in her, so this one had to count. Letting out a slow breath, she closed her eyes and made the water shoot the stunned male fire gravy back, whizzing right over Aramis's head and into the woman fire. The man clipped her shoulder, knocking her spinning backward, and ricocheted into the sky and past the hedge and out of view. Paul was thrown backward by an invisible hand and slammed into the rock wall of the relief, the back of his head whipping back and hard against the stone. The world took a few seconds to stop spinning. By now he'd gotten used to the fact that he was not only very strong, but at least 10 times more durable than a human should be. Each of the hits he'd taken should have killed him, but they each just momentarily jarred him. That didn't stop him from getting tired though. The dizziness from hitting the wall was fading, but the exhaustion mixed with it was giving him tunnel vision. He was thinking about how he needed a break as Brett flew into the wall next to him. He bounced off the rock and splashed down into the water, but he only had a few scrapes and bruises to show for it, a trickle of blood flowing down the side of his face. He got back up and lifted his bat and charged at the stone pravy that was slowly walking toward him. You want to switch? Paul yelled out, tired of fighting the invisible wind guy. Brett paused, looked at him, and nodded. I already got rid of his gun, so that's a good idea. He ran off in a random direction, and Paul turned toward the stone pravy. He was hunched over and looked pissed off. Paul felt a surge of fear as he approached this new adversary, which almost made him chuckle. So, he could still feel afraid, even if his heart was racing. He'd been anxious and excited ever since all this had started, but this moment was different. This guy was probably as strong and as tough as he was. And he was much taller and weighed down with huge defined muscles. Not sure what else to do. Paul ran at him. Thanks for listening. Part 2 of Chapter 18 will post May 21st. If you want to show your love for the podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
The World's a May Bar podcast is a production of Diamond Plate Studios and is written and performed by me, Andy Wright. Special thanks to Michael Wright of The Restitution for use of music from his album Into the Dark. You can find more of his music at therestitution.com. Have a great one, everybody.